on today's episode of the Playgrounder podcast. Matt and I interview Mark Medina. He's an NBA writer for USA Today. We talk to him about the Heat and the Celtics series and, you know, what kind of strategies and what kind of chess moves can we look at going forward. And then he uh, he is one of the few guys who voted LeBron for MVP over Giannis. So we got his reasoning for that. So if you've been looking for some of these guys who, you know, their reasoning behind voting LeBron over Giannis, uh, Mark is one of them. And he gave good reasons, so I would stay tuned to the end of that interview to find out what he says and his reasoning behind that. And then, as always, we bring on uh, Rob Shazla podcast of the Playgrounder to recap. Uh, me and him have been doing these recaps, you know, a few times a week after some late games and just getting them out and putting them out there. So those are always really fun. Uh, I come up with a fun name for it, and you'll have to wait and find out. It's uh, it's nothing that crazy, but I'm still gonna make you wait to find out. Uh, but as always, you can get us on our socials at Playgrounder NBA on Twitter, at the Playgrounder on Instagram. I'm at Zach Wilson fifty, at Matt Esposito underscore at Shaw's Law Podcast for Rob and at Mark G underscore Medina for Mark Medina. Some really great basketball conversation. We got some really great games. Some really great series. It's late. I can barely talk. Let's get it. Hi, we are very, uh, very thankful to be joined by Mark Medina. He's an NBA writer for USA Today. So, first off, Mark, thanks so much for coming on. How are you? Uh, how, how's your day been? How are you enjoying the playoffs? Have you have you been in the bubble at all this year? Or? Yeah, I was in the bubble for two months almost, July twelfth to September 9th. Uh, and then I switched out with my colleague Jeff Zolgit. So the last week and a half, I've been back to doing the Zoom calls and watching TV. But yeah, I did the almost two-thirds of it um it, it was surreal to say the least do you miss the bubble uh yes and no i mean I, I would say predominantly yes because that's where the action is when you're in this field that's what it's about there's a lot of stories but you know i think if you were to use an analogy it's almost you know like players that are logging 40 45 minutes a night like at some point you gotta hit a reset because, you know, the body's not functioning to just, you know, work from 10 a.m. to 3 a.m. for 55 days in a row. So, uh, but it, it was fun. And, and especially given the uh, the state of affairs with the pandemic and having the larger picture of, hey, this is a blessing because of all the hardships. Um, it, it was mostly positive. But, yeah, there was a lot of exercise of, hey, how do I muster up the energy to to keep going full bore because it's a lot, but no, it was fun. A lot of coffee. Yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of bad food. A lot of coffee, caffeine, candy. Yeah. Not a lot of sleep. So I mean, that part, I'm glad I'm able to hit the reset and and lead a better lifestyle. But you know, this is what the job I signed up for. So as mm-hmm. far as everything else is great. Did you ever get coffee from Jimmy Butler? <laughs> I should have, right? I mean, he's been uh, he's been putting up pretty good numbers and performances, so maybe that would have helped muster me through. But he would never offer to sell it to me, and I probably wouldn't have bought it anyway because he was charging what, like twenty, twenty five bucks a cup, and I'm sure he's charging more now after uh, his recent performances. It's it's got to be one hell of a coffee. Like 
there must be, I'm thinking, some kind of Kahlua, some kind of whiskey. Something's got to be in that coffee for 25 bucks. But Yeah, I'm sure it's not just coffee beans in there. There's something more to it. But uh, what, what's funny is I did a story a few weeks ago about just kind of the randomness of being in the bubble because everyone sees each other, you know, within the teams because they're all staying at the ho- same hotel. So I was asking different people about what have been your memorable random interactions and Frank Vogel, the the Los Angeles Lakers head coach said, yeah, I ran into Jimmy Butler and he was trying to sell me coffee and I told him I'd buy it, but it was one of those things like, yeah, I'll pay you later sort of thing. So I don't know to this day he's, uh, he wound up getting a cup or not, but I think Jimmy has been doing this to everyone on the bubble, trying to, trying to sell some coffee. He he seems like the person who might keep tabs as well, who might have a list of names, you know. Yeah, I think Eric Spolster, the heat coach, he was saying on a Zoom call the other day that um, it was either – it was someone's birthday, and he was asking – I think it was maybe Eric's. He's like, hey, do I get the birthday special? And instead of decreasing the price, he tried to increase it. <laughs> so he, he is that guy that would definitely keep tabs and not give away free samples. Seems like it. I guess I don't want to like disrespect the Heat and say this has been like a huge surprise, but do you think there's like a little bit of like Michael's secret stuff in like you know, Jimmy's coffee from like Space Jam, you know that kind of thing going on where where Michael gave his his Looney Tunes team the juice at halftime? You think there's a bit of that going on? No, I mean in all seriousness, I think that what's happened is this: you know Jimmy Butler's really good. The Heat have a good culture, and I think you know when you're looking at this whole unique bubble setup where everything was on the table. The Heat was going to be one of these teams that would benefit because they have veteran players and, you know, they have the culture where they they were able to win the pandemic. Like a lot of the guys were still being able to be in shape. And, you know, I think they also had the mental strength to get through the craziness of there. Um, and I can speak from experience like, you know, you always had to keep the big picture in mind of, look, you have a good setup, you're healthy and working, but that amount of time away from family and that amount of time of doing the same thing every other day without really a moment to just relax and recharge, it wears on you. And But I think that the Heat, uh, because of their makeup, they're able to navigate those things better than maybe other teams. Yeah, and, you know, that's – you know, it's it's an interesting point about culture um, and and how, like, you know, I think they have their – what's their body fat rule? Isn't it, like, 5% or something? Yeah, so, they, I mean, they keep those things secret for a reason. Uh, so I don't know what the standard is, but just using common sense, you for all professional teams, you always want in the single digits for sure. Um, but as far as for them – are they expecting 2%, 3%, 4%, 5%, 6%? I don't know, but definitely under 10. Yeah, we have some conspiracies we got to find out now. We got to get the answer to Jimmy's coffee. We got to get this <laughs> answer. Um, but speaking of the heat, you know, I, I wanted to ask you a specific question about him. So I feel like this series, uh, the first part of it was uh, Spoelstra kind of deploy, uh, deploying that zone. And then how did the Celtics figure that out? Uh, what do you, and, and I think to some extent they did have some success in Game Three, but what do you think the next chess move is is going to be? Yeah, it's a good question because I, I mean I know that that was definitely a part of it, but I think the other component that played a larger factor is 
Miami's like not collective experience, but their experience overall and their infrastructure, they develop guys to be ready for these moments where the Celtics, they have continuity and a lot of young talent. But I think part of the reason why they fold in crunch time is they don't, they're, they're still young. I think that was the main thing and it all falls under that's like the main umbrella. And then the zone, that's like one of many things that that falls under in that same category. Um, so I, I don't want to say there's no major adjustments because Brad Stevens and, and Eric Spolscher are really good tacticians, but I think that the underlying thing that's going to play out in the series is to what extent can the Celtics use that like game to blow up into channeling that energy for the good and not folding in crunch time. And now with Miami, I don't want to say that they were dogging at the first two games, but they knew that they, they always had in them to rally late in the games. And so here entering game four, do they think, Hey, we can't mess around anymore. We can't afford to fall into this hole. We're going to, set the tone early. So there might be, you know, some aggressive play calling and aggressive play in general from those guys to try to fix that. Um, you know, it's, I think when you've looked at this, any team could have won any game, mm-hmm. but I still think that Miami has the edge, but it's, it's respectable enough that it's not going to be this four and one series. I think it'll be in six or seven games. Yeah, and you mentioned Miami's, you know, experience and one guy who's a vet on that team who's been playing absolutely amazing is Goran Dragic, but I've been kind of asking myself this question and I feel like I kind of have my answer because even with how amazing Goran is playing, does their best lineup, like their closing lineup, like not include him? Like is their best closing lineup Butler, Bam, Crowder, Hero and Robinson or does Dragic fit in there because that last lineup looks really good as well? Yeah, I think the good thing is, I mean, the numbers show that their best lineup is without Goran, but I think that in a, in, res, in respect to Goran, it doesn't matter because he's a team guy. Uh, but also, I think it's by design of how the Heat has constructed their roster, where you know they're looking into two things, like they're going to look into like positional needs, and so with these closing rosters, like they'll go a little bit younger just to speed it up a little bit, but they're also looking at guys that can adjust and handle different roles. So I think where Goron's valuable is that he is that like steady quarterback and he's a solid guy. He doesn't make mistakes. Um, But I think that's also a value in his personality that he rolls with the punches. I mean, as much as, you know, Jimmy Butler's clearly, their best player, you know, Goron has enough respect in that locker room because of his experience and just how he is as a player that like he's being a mentor of sorts to Jimmy in terms of just how to run the offense and where to make reads and cuts. Um, So I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer with any of this. Um, So with that, that I think that gives the heat some flexibility. Yeah. And that's, and that's ultimately to me, like what's most representative about Miami is that they can just throw different guys at you, and and they do have that that uh, that roster, that lineup flexibility. Um, but something that I've I've been wanting to ask people that are much smarter than Zach and I is, you know, when I watch Bam well, Adebayo, you had, you had the wrong guest on then. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you still exceed our our our, our smarts by like a hundred times. All right, ex- exactly. Even if you're like 
you know, a C minus basketball smart. That's still more than me and Zach. So, but one of the things that I noticed is, um, I feel like this, the center position in today's NBA is maybe not what people projected it to be five years ago, where I think what was really in vogue was you got to get a center that can stretch the floor. Um, but we see players like Bam, like Rudy Gobert. So, you know, what is the state of the modern center in today's game? Like, is Bam doing something to make people reevaluate what they look for? Well, I think, I mean, Bam represents one of many trends. I think that clearly, you know, the state of the NBA, you can't have a plotting big man that can only dominate in the post. I mean, unless you have Shaq, right, you know, or a version of Shaq, that's not going to work. You have to have different skills, but that doesn't necessarily require a big to, you know, be able to make threes. I think as long as you have, you know, three or not, I'm, I hesitate to use a number. As long as you have a multitude of skills that you can fall back on, that's all that matters. So, you know, you look at Nikola Jokic, for example, like he's not a three point shooter, but he has a decent mid range. Uh, he's a, he's the best passer in the NBA and yeah, he can do some post ups. So I don't think you want to go away from the post up necessarily. That can still be an effective shot, but it's clearly, at this point where the five position in particular, it's in that middle stage of it's not a requirement to be a three point shooter, but you certainly just can't be a back to the basket. Pick. Yeah, I uh, so I don't want to count the Celtics and the Nuggets out, which is not what I'm doing at all. But hypothetically, we could see a heat Lakers finals. So if that happens, how upset would you be that though you're not getting those finals in those home cities, getting to fly back and forth from L.A. to Miami to cover them? Well, I mean, we won it anyway, right? It's well. That's what all... I'm saying. Like, if if this like didn't happen, like, how upset would you oh, be that oh, right. <laughs> that we did you yeah. wouldn't get this? Yeah, I mean, I will caution this. Like, I usually like I don't have any stakes, whichever team, whatever. But yeah, like you root for things that are cool, and the travel itinerary is a factor. Now, I love Boston as a city as well, so it's not like I would be like, oh, man, instead of going to Miami, I'm in, you know, Memphis, right? Like, and no, <laughs> like, I think the, the culture there is great, the people there are great, but it's just there's not much to do. And the one selling point that Memphis has in particular is like, hey, they have really good barbecue, but I'm trying to not eat that stuff because it's not good for you. So, like, that whole selling point goes out the window. Boston, I think, is a great city, but, yeah. Miami, I would root for that geographically because it's Miami and it's warm weather and I have some friends down there that I know. Um, but I've I've quickly gotten past that stage of, you know, wrapping my uh, putting my emotional investment on who wins or loses. You know, that's it's probably a smart decision. And, you know, this is a discussion for another day, but. I am definitely on board. If, if anyone wants to start a petition to move the Grizzlies to Nashville, <laughs> keep it in state, right? You know, in Nashville, I don't even like country music that much, but Nashville is such a good city. Um, um, hopefully I can get two more petitions from you guys because it, it, I would love for that to happen. Um, all right. So, you know, w one of the thing, one of the themes um, of this, well, I don't want to say off, maybe off season for the Bucks has kind of been like, we've seen Giannis, you know, what uh, there's been rumors about what he's going to do. And Miami's obviously been mentioned. Um, and I think they've made it pretty clear they want to keep the space open to make a run at him. 
my question is, has Goran Dragic worked his way into a multi-year deal that could maybe, you know, make the Heat reconsider what they do? Because I, th- I think he's been playing that well. I mean, obviously not better than Giannis, but how does his play impact to their future decisions um, financially? Yeah, I mean, under the guise that we don't, we won't know the true numbers of the cap yet because of true, because the, it's going to be a severe hit because of everything going on. But um, that being said, I think if you look at the Heat historically, um, they like to be ambitious and go after the big names, a la LeBron James and Chris Bosh. But at the same time, they like to thread the needle of being cap savvy. I mean, I think the the underrated part of that whole uh, you know big three alliance is that happened while LeBron James and Chris Bosh both took pay cuts, mm. um, and you know they were able to retain Dwayne Wade despite him taking a pay cut. And I know that you know initially that rubbed him the wrong way, and he wound up going to Chicago, but he came back to Miami. And so I think, you know, in, in the Heat's mind, they, they want to have both. They, they do value continuity. They value loyalty. So I don't think it's going to be one of these things that they're going to suddenly push aside Goran Dragic. But it's not like they're going to be like, you know what? Like, you're playing really well. This Giannis guy, we don't need to worry. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they're going to be ambitious. But I think that this helps them in two avenues. One they could manage the cap and try to make everything work. But then in the, uh, with the possibility that Giannis just decides to stay put, sign the Supermax, you know, they have a fallback point. Like all their chips aren't on, hey, let's get this huge free agent because the teams that do that, the New York Knicks, it can sometimes blow up in their face. Um, and obviously the Heat are, are much better run than them. Yeah, and I feel like with what we've seen now, teams can just clear cap space at any moment and any time they need by attaching picks to contracts and all that, or you probably wouldn't even have to attach a pick to Goron if that was the move. Uh, I kind of want to ask... If if you don't mind me adding one other thing, is that like, real quickly, like players, they're they're willing to take a pay cut or more likely to take a pay cut if they know, hey, this is part of a larger purpose. So like... If they have the uh, sense that, hey, like Giannis is coming or we're getting a commitment, we're going to have to do that. You know, someone like Goron or anyone's more likely to do that than to just preemptively give a pay cut with the hope of, oh, this will give you more cap space to get someone. You know, I think usually it's it has to be the other way around. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't know Goron personally by any means, but I feel like from all that we've seen and heard of him, especially this year, he would be one guy who would be more than willing to, you know, do what's best for the team. Uh, But I want to ask a question that's a bit more tactical, and I think we've seen the BAM pick and roll be just a huge part of Miami's offense, and just frankly, like, I don't want to say unstoppable, but it's really, like, it's really strong when you have a guy like BAM diving and then shooters all around him, and I think we kind of started to see Boston employ, like, really heavy help just sprinting off shooters and Miami maybe didn't necessarily take the best advantage of that, so maybe they will now. But I guess I just want to ask you, what do you think the best route to for Boston to guard a BAM pick-and-roll is, whether that's with a specific lineup or strategy? Like, what what route would you go? Um, It's hard to answer because I feel like BAM and Miami's system, they make the right play. So yeah. the, 
you know, it, it's easy to say, hey, we're going to double Bam and not let him get easy dives to the basket, but then he'll kick it out to Jimmy Butler or he'll kick it out to Tyler Hero. Like, um, I think the regardless of whether it's a star player, whoever on that team, I think the idea defensively that Miami is all about, uh, which a lot of teams are, is that it's all about wearing someone down and throwing multiple looks because they know star guys are always going to get to the points. So the trade-off is how do you make it more difficult so that not only are they shooting inefficiently, but by the time it's the fourth quarter, the fatigue's starting to catch up. So I, I think what they would do is they would just give a healthy dose of everything. Like sometimes they would, they would double. Sometimes they would, uh, give him an opening to the lane and then just give a make sure a rim protectors there or they would deny him a look just as long as you you have him keep guessing that can disrupt the rhythm a, a little bit as opposed to one specific strategy yeah well as a as a Celtics fan I hope they find out something to do um <laughs> ho- hopefully um, but you know Mark we don't want to take up too much of your time and I have one more question that I'd love to ask you um now We've, we've touched upon Jimmy Butler. We've spoken about Dragic. We've spoken about Bam. My question is, um, and there is a right and a wrong answer to this one, who is the most – who's the best player in this series? I think it's Jimmy Butler. Oh, man. Was that think, the wrong answer? Good answer. Right? Good answer. No, that's a good one. I think you're right. But I think if you were to, if I were to ask you this question, maybe next year, I think it might change. But but sell me on Jimmy Butler being better than um, somebody like Jason Tatum. Yeah, um, I, I think it frankly has to do with experience, um, and also, I mean, we've seen this in the series. Jason Tatum uh, in Game One, he went what oh seven in the final few minutes in in OT. Yep, um, and. I don't. I was in a very, very small minority here. I don't think that his shot at the end of the fourth quarter was bad. Like I thought it was fine, mm-hmm. um, but the play leading up to it, it was just dribbling, dribbling, dribbling. Right. Um, where I think where Jimmy, he made some clutch plays, not just because hey, it's Jimmy Butler, but it was rhythm shots. Um, so that's where I would give the edge. But where I, where I give the edge with the Celtics over the Heat is that they have continuity collectively as a team. Um, They might be inexperienced as players, but together they're fine. And I think that that has helped, you know, when much was made of the game two post blow up with Marcus Smart and, and, uh, and Brown, uh, Jalen Brown, or is this team falling apart? No, like they're, emotionally mature that they can have these conversations and i think the heat also have that culture too but i think that you know there's a lot of x's and o's that they're always still figuring out um you know going into the series i picked the celtics in seven but it really could go either way um but yeah the question you asked who's better i I think it's jimmy butler but you know, the, the margin for all these things are so slim that you can really make a case for Jason Tatum as well. I, you know, this was one of my favorite podcasts until that moment. Um, no, but I, <laughs> And now it went off the rails and it's never going to air. It's still, I, it just jumped up for me. 
Okay. So you're <laughs> so, you're 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 pro Jimmy Butler on this? Well, I'm just a Raptors fan, and he's a Celtics fan. So since the Celtics beat the Raptors last round, I'm just anti-Boston anything because of that, and uh, also just because yeah. of Matt. Yeah. Ah, I got you. I got you. Well, I don't want to be like causing issues between you two, so I'll, I'll play Switzerland in this. <laughs> no, we we need a good fight from time to time to keep each other honest. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you know, I I say this to Zach all the time. I think the most important skill in basketball. Um, if you want to win a championship is getting a guy who you can rely on in the last two minutes of a game. And, and um, you know, there are some things I think Jason Tatum is more skilled at, but uh, Butler's just proven that he's better um, at, at closing out games. And hopefully as a Celtics fan, you know, hopefully Tatum gets there, but um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. So Zach, what do you have? Do you have any more questions or should we let Mark off the hook? I can't let, Mark, go without asking this one question, and I guess correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were one of the few people who did vote LeBron over Giannis for MVP. I did. Uh, I guess I just want to hear your reasoning. I'm not necessarily saying you're wrong, but I just want to hear your reasoning because it was obviously the unpopular opinion amongst the voters. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's indisputable that Giannis's numbers are better. He's obviously a better defender. Um, and yeah, LeBron benefits from the fact that he played with Anthony Davis, but, uh, beyond the fact that, yeah, LeBron led the league in assists and he played a few more games. Um, I, I think that LeBron deserves some praise here for this. It's easy to say, oh yeah, he played with Anthony Davis, but there are a lot of moving parts this year where it could have gone off the rails if not for LeBron's leadership. I mean, you guys have to keep in mind that the Lakers last summer were pretty dysfunctional with Magic Johnson stepping down and the front office dynamic. And Frank Vogel's a great coach, but that was their third choice. And LeBron played a huge factor in the buy-in with Frank Vogel and, and making sure everyone fell in line and also putting Anthony Davis in a position to succeed and also for the most part, having the role players be the best versions of themselves. And, you know, it's easy to say that, oh, they had a talented roster, but in the NBA, like egos collide, personalities don't always mesh. And because of LeBron's personality and the way the game was played, uh, the stars align that way. And look, like, I'm not going to go Kevin Durant, like social media, like, who cares about criticism? Like you have to be willing to take accountability, but there's a lot of like Bucks fans that take this way too personal. And there was a lot of just inflammatory stuff about how I was praising LeBron because the way he galvanized a franchise that was directly hit by the Kobe Bryant tragedy as like this cheap shot. And it's like, no, like, I'm sorry. Kobe affected everyone in the NBA, but I'm not speaking out of turn to say that the Lakers were the most hit out of this tragedy because right. he played for the organization. So like this whole idea that Bucks fans would want to like hurl insults about that and being insensitive, I would say that their reaction was insensitive. Like this was a real thing where I'm not comparing the level of grief from one player to another, but organizationally with not just the players, but people behind the scenes in the city, like 
I'm sorry, it's different in L.A. than it was in any other NBA city. And LeBron played a factor in that, and that is leadership. And I would say the other thing, look, people can say, oh, yeah, Giannis didn't play well in the playoffs, whatever. It's a regular season vote. And, you know, the the criteria was to just look at the results until the, the season was suspended, right? So even when you have that in consideration, there is something to be said that during the regular season, it's clear that LeBron, with his play and also with his teammates, that they got prepared much better for the postseason than the Bucks did. And, you know, part of that is the unprecedented part of the NBA bubble and the playoffs are a different animal, but there is a buildup. And so part of that has to fall on what LeBron did in the regular season. That's where I got the vote. But all that being said, you can make a case for either. Um, I'm surprised that it was as lopsided as it was, but I think if it was LeBron winning or Giannis winning, like you can go either way there, you know, there, it's not like anyone got screwed per se, but that that's the criteria that, that I chose LeBron for. Right. And- right. Oh, go ahead, Zach. Sorry. I was just going to say, like, I totally agree with you that by definition of most valuable player, like, it probably is LeBron. I just feel like with the way that the voting typically is done, that Giannis fits that criteria more. But I think that's also the great thing of, you know, the NBA doing it this way of there is no criteria. So each voter gets to pick their own. So I totally respect those who voted LeBron like yourself, and you definitely yeah. have great reasoning behind it. Yeah, and I would add, I mean, this wasn't a sole reason. It's just one of many reasons right. that I And The other thing is the, the head-to-head in the second matchup, like LeBron dominated. Like he held him 2-10 in the second half. He had more points and more assists. The first matchup, Giannis played better. But, you know, with the regular season, you're supposed to be getting better as the season goes on. And clearly at that point in time, you know, this happened less than a week before the season came to a halt because of the pandemic. You know, the Lakers and LeBron in, in particular, they were kicking up into a bigger gear because, hey, the next three weeks, it's about getting ready for the postseason. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, the criteria, that's, I think, the beauty and the struggle with it is that some people have different criteria. Some some just do the numbers. Some do the quote-unquote narratives. And I don't want to – I mean, I think narrative is a – it's a heavy-loaded word because I'm not making a vote off of a storyline that's cool, like that's dumb. But I'm also trying to sift through beyond the numbers. Like there are circumstances that are unique, whether it's team dynamics or behind the scenes things. And I think, you know, in this specific case, there were a lot of things in LeBron that I thought he deserved a lot of credit for in that regard. Right. And, you know, I think obviously uh, just fans and, and people who are not in your position don't I mean, literally don't see that, right? We don't, we don't get that part of it. So like, well, you know, one thing that I would suggest just for all of our listeners who are listening is like, you know, I think we should applaud people for when they go away from group think. I think people taking a stand and doing something, that, something that's unpopular um, is perfectly fine. And we should give them more, more chances um, to, I don't know, to, to state their opinion. And, and listen, I'm of the belief that if this season continued, like imagine that um, this pandemic never happened. I think um, 
this vote gets much, much closer than, than what well, it is. Without a doubt. Uh, I mean, to your point, Giannis was dealing with an injury before the season, this pandemic ended. So he could have missed even more games and may have not been as effective if he was playing in certain games. And LeBron was kicking into gear. But even with that said, like, to be clear, I wasn't taking that hypothetical into consideration because it was, hey, the season ended. you got to just judge the body of work. But even that body of work, at least for me, was enough to think, okay, uh, here's where I give the edge to LeBron. Yeah, and I feel like the most important thing for people to realize is, you know, the people who voted for Giannis aren't saying that LeBron's horrible. The people who voted for LeBron aren't saying Giannis is horrible. They're saying that they're both, clearly they had the top two seasons. One of them just had to be first. Um, But yeah, Mark, we we really do appreciate your time. Unless you want to give us your quick 30-second reaction to Billy Donovan just agreeing to a deal with the Chicago Bulls, we'll... uh, We'll let you head out. But Woj did just break that news. Oh, very nice. Um, yeah, I mean, Billy Donovan's a great coach. I, I mean, really, the reason why he left the Thunder is it was clear they were going to go into a rebuilding mode. And so I think it was a mutual decision. But uh, he's a good coach. Uh, you just hope that, um, you know, the front office uh, and the ownership will continue to make improvements because that's obviously been such a a struggle with the Bulls franchise for a while. Um, but, you know, they have been making some changes here, and and you hope that uh, – I mean, I, I have no rooting interest, but for their sake, uh, you know, one can only hope if you're a Bulls fan that this these are one of many examples that they're finally turning the ship in the right direction. For sure. Uh, Mark, do you want to plug anything before we head out? Uh Sure. Yeah. Mark Medina, uh, USA Today. You can go there if you want to follow any work. Twitter's Mark G underscore Medina. Uh, And yeah, uh, I'm always covering the league with my colleague Jeff Zilgut. So uh, give us a follow and it'll be good. For sure. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time and coming on and talking hoops with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys, and be well. All right. Thank you. All right. We're back here recapping the. Lakers Nuggets game three a really really fun game uh back for our usual recaps with Rob I just thought of that off the top of my head what do you think though what do you think about that I'm down for recaps with Rob I think that uh I think it sounds good it flows well it has some uh what's that called what's it called when you have alliteration there we go that's why you are the smart one here and I just run my mouth (laughs) but we saw the Nuggets Come out with the win. Man, I can't... Every time I see a series like this where I guess a buzzer beater happens and so much happens at the end of game two where I can't help but think, wow, the Nuggets are really like a Jamal Murray block and save to the end of the court or an Anthony Davis miss or Mason Plumlee staying with Anthony Davis away from being up 2-1 on the Lakers. And that's like how you think of it. But I don't know that's all the way how it works like the nuggets came out with a lot of force today but it's because they were down 2-0 i think if it's 1-1 maybe they don't come out with that same uh like fit fire 
yeah, no, it's definitely a, a flawed way of thinking. And you're right. The uh, the desperation you have when you're down 0-2 compared to tied 1-1. But I was thinking today, like, just randomly thinking. And I know, like, this is just an obvious statement. But, like, the difference between being down 0-2 and 1-1 is crazy. Like, it's so much. Like, you don't it's realize, nuts. like, that one game swings so much from being down 0-2 to being tied 1-1. Uh, but... They brought it back, and if there's one thing we know about this Denver team from these playoffs, it's that they know how to come back in a series. So, with that said, I was thinking about the Lakers a lot during this game. Like, they got down 20. They got they were down 17 in the first half. They were down big multiple times, and they're up 2-0, and I was really impressed with their, hey, we're not going to give Denver this one for free. They're going to play their guys until the very end, and they're going to fight us for this win. That impressed me with the Lakers. That and I think it also shows the respect they have for the Nuggets to know, like, we can't give any games away. This team knows how to win. They know how to win multiple in a row. And I'm not saying that basketball teams, you know, would rather, you know, if it was an easier team, they'd just be like, yeah, we'll just give them this game three. But there are moments where if you're down by this much in the fourth, sometimes you're you're in the mindset of, okay, let's rest our starters. Let's get ready for game four. We can take these guys then. We still can win this series where they know that we can't give this team any free wins. And I think there are still some NBA fans, some Laker fans that still view this Denver team as a walkover somehow. Well, they're just so excited that they dodged that Clippers bullet that they're not realizing this Denver team is for real. Like, there's no joke. Uh, just the Joker. Just the Joker. That that's nice. That that was good. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Denver went up early. They went up big. They were up like sixteen at one point. Then I think was it ten at half. So it was ten at half. Yep, I have it in my notes. It was ten at half. And then I think the TNT broadcast said this was like their first halftime lead in seven games, which is wild. Which, uh, it's funny, because I was watching it with some friends, and my friend turned to me, and he was like, hey, that's not a good sign for Denver. And, like, obviously in a joking way, but it's so true. Like, this team has been a second-half team, and they've been a team who's been down double digits. And I even said, when Denver went up, like, 14 or 16, I was like, wow, this is weird. Denver's usually the team who's the one coming back from double digits, not the one who's leading and then is risk at risk of getting come back on. So, during that comeback... Uh, we just saw Rondo. It just felt like there was like four Rondos out there. He was everywhere. His hands in the passing lane. He gets uh, a straight up on ball strip of Jamal Murray, which happens to Murray a lot for a lead guard. Like he gets, he gets his pocket picked like in one-on-one situations, not like lazy passes, but like trying to dance or not even when he's dancing, mostly when he's, trying to just like protect the ball and create separation i will say murray has a lot of wasted dribbles when he plays and i know some of it's sizing up some of it as you mentioned is kind of dancing and trying to shake a guy but wow he uses up a lot of his energy just dribbling and dancing when i know i know like a lot of coaches teach 
just line drive, straight line drive, downhill running. Straight line, east and west. Right. And there's some of that, but or also... North, it, south. Oops, yeah. north, south. Oops, yeah, east. north, south. <laughs> no, not east and west. But there is some of that where you have to go east and west because these NBA players are such good defenders that you're not just going to be able to go north, south on them. But I do... I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong in this. Do you know? Like, Murray does that a lot, like a little extra. Yeah, like, he's on a team where... It's him and Jokic that do the bulk of the ball handling. And I'm sure in his mind, he's the point guard. Like, yeah, Jokic passes unbelievable, but I'm the lead ball handler. I can pound the ball a little bit. And, you know, I guess we're, we're trashing him right now, but he put that game away for the Nuggets. Like that, Some of those step-back threes he hit, that mid-range, that little dump pass to Millsap where he faked out to Jokic pass to Millsap, like, he put that game away for the Nuggets. Amazingly. And then... The big 30-foot bomb. Oh, my gosh. Over Caruso? Yeah, but the one that – that one was cool because, like, that one, like, solidified, hey, this game is really over. Right. But he had another step back, the one before – the first one on Caruso, where it almost looks like he loses his balance on the step back, and he's like, no, I'm still shooting this regardless. Yeah, no, he, he put that game away. Um, I do want to express some anger because – I had money on Jokic scoring at least 27, and this guy had 22 with three minutes to go in the third and finished with 22. I was watching this guy. This is He was part of the reason. I mean, I don't want to discredit the Lakers' defense because what they did in the fourth quarter was fantastic with their zone and their pressure. They went like 3-2, 2-3 for a bit. But Jokic was so passive. I'm pretty sure I literally saw him take one fourth quarter shot, and I don't have the stats in front of me to solidify that, but it can't be much more than one. And it was a fading away heave at the end of a shot. Like, he was so passive. And there were times where he had Rondo on him, Crusoe on him, and I understand that those guys aren't just weak defenders, but, man, when you're Nikola Jokic and you're that much taller and you're drawing doubles, like at least back him down until you draw the double. He was just being so passive. So the whole time you're saying this, I'm replaying one play in my head. Um, he gets it at the foul line versus Rondo. On Ron, yeah, takes I two, <laughs> takes two bumps, um, dishes it back to Murray, and Murray gives it right back to him in the same spot, and he throws the ball to Gary Harris in the corner. Where I thought after like the two little back down bumps, he was close enough that he should have just took a jump a jump hook. I don't know. I don't remember if he turned it over or hit. As a matter of fact, he throws it to Harris. Harris attacks a closeout and gets uh, blocked by LeBron. And it should have just been a Jokic shot attempt. And, like, not only is that just bad for a guy like that who really has played his way into, like, a tier one star level to be that passive, but I think Zach Lowe has touched on this a lot in his pod how statistically Jokic has been one of the best playoff performers. But just like one of the best clutch playoff performance in like NBA history, like his stats and his efficiencies like are insane. And we literally saw that it was at the end of one of those Clipper games where Jokic was literally just playing horse with himself in crunch time. We saw yesterday Jokic scored the, last, scored like, the last 13 11. points yeah. or 11 points for for the Nuggets. And then now he just he didn't even want to shoot. And I and once again, I understand the Lakers were absolutely keying on him and they were playing fantastic defense. But you have to find a way as Denver either to get him some looks, which I feel like they even did. And then as Jokic, you have to take those shots when they're there. As you mentioned, you got Rondo on you. Even if you're at the foul line, he is good enough to post fade, post hook from the foul line. Like he's just, he is that type of player that can make those difficult shots. 
um, he was so aggressive early. Yes. It it was it was a side of Jokic that I think I'd like to see more frequently. Actually, he was. Hey, I can really pass, but until you guys start respecting me as a shot creator and an attacker, I'm going to keep going. He had this beautiful fake reverse on the baseline early. I I really liked that version of Jokic. I I think heading into this series, I stood where a lot of people still stand of, look, the Lakers are going to win, but I really believe the Nuggets can put up a fight. I don't believe that anymore. I truly believe Denver can win this series, and I don't think it would take the most insane thing for it to happen. I would still, if you asked me to put my money on a team, I would still choose the Lakers, but I think Denver is legitimately in this, and I think they can win. Did you think, oh man, this is, it sounds ridiculous to say out loud. Did we just witness a quiet LeBron 30-point triple-double? Yeah, I mean, he really was insanely quiet. I mean, I guess that kind of Lakers run, he he had some some big moments, but yeah, he had I, like a couple leakouts off Rondo uh, Steele, but it was a quiet LeBron thirty triple double, which is nuts. Yeah, well, I mean, and also the, if you're gonna remember one individual play about LeBron from this game, it's probably gonna be the missed three down three, where he kind of took his his classic step back at the top of the arc when they were down three and he missed. And he and, just looked exhausted <laughs> yeah that's a it's funny because i look at the stat line and i see 30 point triple double and i'm like oh that was a lebron he played really well but then i really try to think back and i'm like wow he he had a triple double like i don't remember this and that's kind of how i felt like i looked at the numbers and i was like man uh the play that sticks out to me like where i remember like hey this guy's really good is the Right wing, hard, just good one hard dribble right past Jokic for a right hand layup. And I was like, oh, he's trying to assert himself back in this game. Yeah, he had some moments where he used his force and his strength and just, yeah, how much more physically dominant he is than everyone on the court and just muscled his way to the hoop. Um, I'll tell you one guy I do remember and his stats back this up is Jeremy Grant. He was a man on a mission, to say the least. He, oh man, that's some of his best offensive basketball. Like I think it was the best. He's always there. It was a career high for him uh, in the playoffs. It might have just been a flat-out career high. Yeah, and he had some moments where he – I remember one in the first quarter where he got a first step on LeBron, just blew past him for a layup. There was moments where he was getting and ones, driving on AD and LeBron, picking them at half, going the length of the court. Like, that, you're not going to get that out of Jeremy Grant every game. I think I think he probably is their third best player, and I'm not just saying that off a of reaction. Like I think he has been their third best player when you kind of account for both sides of the ball. If in you this can, series in particular. Yes, yes. Just uh, based off what he can do defensively and the Lakers personnel. No, yeah, correct. And like you're not going to get 26 out of him, but if you can get 16 to 20 out of him, maybe even that's a little too much, maybe like 15 out of him every night, you're in a really good place. Because I wouldn't even say... I wouldn't even say this was a great Jokic game. As you mentioned, he was aggressive early. He had 22, 10, and 5 off efficient shooting, but... I literally saw him have 22 points with three minutes left in the third. Like, the last 15 minutes of this game, this guy didn't score. 
and that's what 15 minutes is a a third of the game however long it is i don't yeah. know i'm not i'm not good at math no close enough yeah it's right around a third so he really didn't play good for a third of the game and obviously murray was a madman at the end but yeah i just like denver did not play a perfect game and they still came away with a pretty i wouldn't say dominant but just a a, a substantial win so when the lakers are making their comeback there's a play that I had to jot down because I thought if the Nuggets lost, this play was going to be the catalyst for it. It's late in the shot clock. Uh, Monte Morris. And I, I feel like everybody in the world saw Michael Porter cutting. And I thought it was going to be an oop to Porter, just how Murray had thrown him one earlier in the first half. But Morris puts it in front of the rim like a shot attempt. And Porter tips it in, offensive goaltending. Instead of the Nuggets stopping the run and going up 12, it's a turnover. The lead stays at 10, and the Lakers have all the momentum. They go down and score, and I just remember thinking, I wonder is that play going to be a turning point for the Nuggets? And it didn't happen, but I wanted to mention it. And it was really, really close. Like, I don't know if it was. It, I think it was too close to overturn it. But when you look at it in slow-mo, it looked, I don't know. I don't know. Either way, as you mentioned, uh, wasn't a big deal, I guess, as the Nuggets ended up coming away with it. Uh, yeah, I think one thing to point out is this entire series, the Lakers have somehow managed to get away with, on defensively, with everything you're not supposed to get away with on the Nuggets. Like, they are switching pick and rolls, getting guards on Jokic. You're not supposed to do that. They're doubling Jokic and having a lot of success out of it, and that's what you have to do when he's in the post. But at the same time, Jokic is probably the best passer in the league, and he can usually kick out of those doubles really easily. They're not really capitalizing on that a lot. Yeah, Denver's got to make shots out of those doubles outside of Jamal Murray and, uh, I guess, Porter sometimes. Right. Yeah, and then today we saw at the end of the game they ran a zone insanely successfully, and you everyone knows if you have a, a big that can pass, you can break a zone, and obviously you still have to make shots and everything, but they have guys who can make shots. They have a big who can pass and make shots, and the zone still worked perfectly. I, I, I just can't say I would expect a zone to work going forward on a team like Denver who has Jokic, who is not only a big that can pass, but just the best passing big ever. Like, it's like... So... Yeah, I don't know. What, well, what, what are you I, seeing? What I saw from the Lakers zone was they weren't allowing Jokic to get touches in the areas he wanted. So, like, he had the one foul line touch versus Rondo, but, like, those were few and far between. Um, it was a zone, but the zone was very much, hey, somebody else is going to beat us because if he touches it, he's gonna he can make this shot from where he catches it or he can beat us with his passing. So I felt like a big part of the zone was denying, was making it hard to get Jokic involved. Right. And you mentioned the foul line touch, and that's obviously a more favorable kind of area than most of the places he was getting the ball. But even then, that's not necessarily where he wants to. And he obviously wants to work down low inside. And when you're running a 3-2 with LeBron and AD down low, that's it's going to be really tough to score on the inside. So... Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm sure Denver will watch that and kind of come up with some game plans. Whether they got some high low feeds, kind of trying to getting him one on one in one of the short corners with maybe LeBron or one of them. I just I don't know. I still struggle to believe that his zone is gonna really take down this Nuggets team. 
Uh, but man, we have a we have a series here. We do. This Nuggets team is is scary good, especially because they have enough pieces that <clears throat> this offseason, if a impact player becomes available, they could be a player in that market. And then I don't know if they're the favorite out West coming back, depending on who or what that player is. But the league should be on notice. They got to be up there, yeah. Are you more scared of Denver if they lose or win next game? If Denver wins next game, I would be petrified of them. But they just ooze confidence. But, but if, if they, they get down lose, 3-1 again. They're down 3-1, and we know what that looks like. <laughs> There there's certain things I won't bet against. Um, LeBron with one game to win a series is one of those. No, and yeah, I like if the Lakers won tonight, it, it would have been over. And no yeah. team in NBA history has ever come back from a three zero lead, so it's over in that sense. But it's also over in the sense that LeBron is not losing four in a row. Ever. And as you mentioned, even a three one lead, like I struggle to see LeBron losing three in a row, especially, and we just talked up how great this Denver team is, and I'm going to say especially against this Denver team. But, like, I could see it happening to a team like maybe the Warriors, if the Cavs went up 3-1 in that series, I could see the Warriors coming back on them. If this Clippers team actually pieced their crap together, I think they have the talent to do it. But either way, it's all just, that that means nothing right now. I think if the Lakers go up 3-1, I can't see them blowing it. But I think as we've learned... Never count this Nuggets team out no matter what. And they needed a win tonight, and they got it. And Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are a legitimate, like, top seven duo in the league. Like, I don't know. Seven seems far. Let's play a game real quick. Let's do it. We we, we love these listing games. All right, you go go first. I guess it'll be tough to do it in order here, but as long as we just list ones that are above them. So you go first. AD and LeBron. Okay, are we counting Stephen Clay and Katie and Kyrie? No, because all four of those guys were dead this year. Okay, so just this year. Uh, AD, LeBron. Man. Like, <laughs> I'd probably still take Kawhi and Paul George. Like, I probably Me too. would. Like, I think Paul Me George too. Paul George started off rough, but he still, other than that game seven, he still kind of, he, he didn't play too bad after those first few games in the first round. And then, like, with the two we're excluding, after that, like, I think we're in the Jokic-Murray realm. Like, CJ and Dame. Um, Tatum Kemba. Tatum Kemba. Giannis Middleton. Yeah, yeah. like, I feel like they're in right. that. They're right Maybe in Giannis that Middleton. Giannis Middleton might have been in that first tier, actually, just based yeah. off how good Giannis is. Right. And, I mean, like, Obviously, with the way Pascal fizzled out, it's hard to put them in that. But Lowry and him were were in that conversation all year. Okay, so I guess top seven was. It sounds like you nailed top seven on the head. Now that like we well, started listing them out, there's but there's Butler Bam too, or or Butler Drogic or Drogic Bam, whoever the hell you want to put as that duo with the way that, Drogic's been playing. <laughs> yeah, and that's then just Miami. I get like you. There's a lot of good duos like Simmons and Bead. Even though their fit isn't perfect, no, they're still two no, dominant players. Uh, yeah, I think. Like there's a lot. Luca Kristaps, they looked really good. 
So, Luca Kristaps is like a really fun one for the future. Yeah, they're going to be amazing, especially if they manage to pick up like a third star that isn't ball dominant. But yeah, probably like top five, top seven, I would put them as far as Jokic and Murray go. Yeah. Man, we, uh, I'm, I'm really happy. All I, I have no bid or favor in who wins the finals. Like all four of these teams sit the same with me where I cheer for the Raptors. They're out. I could care less, but all I want is close series and close games. And we got that tonight. And with Denver winning, we got a close series as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that. I. Uh, so my, my thing here is no matter what, one of Cal's guys gets their first ring. One of coach John Calipari's guys gets his first ring. And the only one that's a little bit iffy is Boston because Enos Cantor never played at Kentucky <laughs> because he was ineligible. And he's also the worst Kentucky player left in the group. Well, I was going to say like there, there's Bam and Hero, I guess. And then there's AD and then there's uh, Murray. And then I was like, who's the <laughs> Boston guy? But I guess, yeah, Enos Cantor. That makes sense. I'm and then sure. Rondo is a Kentucky guy, right. but he was he not a, a Cal Kentucky guy. So And he, he has a ring already. Yeah. So does this uh, change any of your predictions? What did you predict at the start of the series? I predicted the Lakers. I didn't put games on it, but I probably would have went Lakers in six. I think I said Lakers in five or six, so I didn't give a concrete answer either. But I, I'd probably still stick with that. But, man, I have so much trouble picking against the Nuggets. Like, they just – they've proven time and time again that you should not pick against them. They just have so much fight. They have they so do. much fight. And they're legitimately good. Like, they are. I think there's I, – I, I'm not speaking towards the majority of the world now because people have caught on. But there's still some people who think they're playing way over their heads. This team is just good. Like, that's it. They're just good. Jokic is amazing. Jamal Murray is legitimate number two or three guy. Like, they are just a good team. I guess the only thing left to do is just laugh at the Kings. Like, they finally got it right with Mike Malone, and then they fired him, and Denver picked him up and was like, hey, I think this is going to work out. Did you see that quote from Tim Connolly, the Nuggets GM today, saying how he's been offered like so many great guys for Jamal Murray and he's turned them all down? And he jokingly, when he passes Murray, uh, he says like, hey, you better be pretty good because I've turned this guy down and that guy and this guy. <laughs> I did not see that quote. That is awesome. So, uh, but hey, Murray's proven it this playoffs. Obviously, the first round where he went absolutely berserk. Last round, he had some good moments. And now we see in a must-win game three here. He really turned it up, especially at the end there with those big shots and that uh, a couple of big passes too. So, uh, Rob, this is fun. Rob's recaps are always good, always a good time. Uh, you want to plug anything? Um, oh, awesome trade pod this week with uh, my boy Jeff. It was he pitched a three teamer. It was a crazy and. And it was everywhere. It was the Nets, the Thunder, and the Bucks. And there's big names moving in all kinds of different ways. We had to address the trade because I felt like the Thunder weren't getting enough back. It, uh, make sure you're checking out the Playground or Trade Pod. It's a ton of fun. 
Um, I'm getting Zach on and uh, he'll be on in a few weeks. We'll probably record Ooh. this week. And it it's so much fun. Y'all ain't ready for this. I, yeah, I'm not going to spoil nothing. I'll just leave it at that. Y'all ain't ready for this. Uh, yeah. And in other words, I also host the Quiz the Beat podcast where I basically give trivia to a beat writer on the team they cover historic or current. It's super fun. And then kind of intertwine it with a, an interview conversation about the team they cover. So that's really fun. I'm recording quite a few of those this week, which will be released throughout the week. So go check that out. Check out the playgrounder.com. We got stuff dropping over there. The playgrounder YouTube channel is really picking up steam. And then just at playgrounder NBA on Twitter. We're still trying to get at the playgrounder. So if anyone listening knows how to get in contact with anyone or just how to go about changing your handle, because the handle we want is the playgrounder and that's taken by an account that hasn't tweeted since like October, 2010. So I feel like we're in some sort of right to get this. I just want to know how, uh, but we are at the playgrounder on Instagram. Uh, Rob, where can they find you on socials at Shaw's law podcast at Shaw's law podcast. And then, yeah, where you need to find me. Follow me at Zach Wilson 50. And then, of course, always uh, follow Matt at Matt Esposito underscore. Guys, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm so happy we got a series in both conference finals. Me too. We stayed up till the morning. Talking till the first light of dawn.